Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was, uh, was 9-11 itself. Welcome to the live version of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth every Friday evening right here on Revolution.Radio, the finest of listener-sponsored networks. Go to Revolution.Radio, and you can click on the link to find out how you can help this station stay on the air and protect free speech. All right, Truth Jihad Radio is a message for the war propagandists. We will fight you on YouTube. We'll fight you on Rumble. We'll fight you on Twitter. We'll fight you on Facebook. We'll fight you in the comments sections. We'll fight you on the websites. We'll fight you on every platform we can find, including revolution.radio and truthjihad.com. And we shall never surrender. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, that's a PSA. Uh, and let's move on to our show tonight. We have a bunch of very highly qualified guests talking about the uh, mass insanity in Ukraine and the vastly greater insanity of the way it's being covered in the Western mainstream media. In the second hour, Tufts University history professor Gary Lopp comes on, followed by Dave Lindorf of This Can't Be Happening. And both of those guys are pretty much, uh, despite being ensconced in mainstream institutions, I guess Dave isn't anymore. He used to be a mainstream journalist, but these guys are still telling the truth. And speaking of people who have been ensconced deep, <laughs> the darkness and stench of mainstream institutions. How about Gordon Duff, editor of Veterans Today, which has become the go-to website for peering deep into the uh, war in Ukraine and getting the actual details about what's really going on over there and debunking all of the BS in the mainstream media. Veterans Today has uh, really come back from a period when a lot of people I know thought, oh, man, this, this, these two years of COVID were not the time to be reading Veterans Today so much. But, hey, ever since this war started, all my uh, acquaintances and friends who didn't like the COVID coverage are back reading VT avidly. So, hey, congratulations, Gordon Duff. You've made VT not just relevant, but kind of the only thing in English these days. Well, uh, you know what I've done, Kevin, is I've made VT uh, relevant to intelligence and military specialists who have always loved VT, including our COVID coverage. And now the anti-vaxxers are in love with us as well. I, you know. You know, you'd think you can't please everybody, but maybe you can. Even you, Gordon, are winning a popularity contest for us. Hey, you can. Unfortunately, you need to turn off your your uh, your video though, because it's just a radio show. Oh, okay, so, uh, good. I, I'm willing to do that because uh, okay. God only knows I'm there. Hey. Okay, uh, radio killed the video star. No, it was the other way around. But oh, in any case, I can, I, hey, I can pace around and I can get rid of this damned. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, you can do all sorts of. I got my iPhone on. Yeah, yeah you can do anything you want. All these wonderful private things you can actually do when the uh, video is turned off. So, Gordon, uh, uh, this war in Ukraine is is bringing out the, the the craziest mainstream coverage, the most outrageous hoaxes, you know, baby incubators or or maternity hospitals being bombed by the evil Russians. Total BS. Uh, and then the Russians catch the U.S. doing germ warfare. 
and uh, the denials are uh, pretty pathetic. Now, uh, have you, what's, what's wrong now, with our, our propagandists these days? Well, uh, you know, I was I was hoping we had gotten past that baby and incubator stage, or the well, you know, you know what I was thinking of as we saw that uh, uh, little chubby uh, makeup model being hauled out of the uh, imaginary hospital in Mariupol with her, her little her little chubby stomach and her. Well, we had a, a version where she had cuts in her forehead, a version where she, she didn't have any cuts. We had a version where she was coming down the stairs walking. We had one where she was being carried down on a on a stretcher. Yeah, Jim, uh, Jim Fetzer is having an acid flashback to Sandy. Oh, Hook. I know. It's 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 Sandy Hook uh, all over again, or Sandy Hook all over again, or Columbine, or yeah. or the Fort Hood shootings. You know, the thing, we've, there are so many false flag events. People forget them. They forgot, let's see, just wanted to bring up a blast from the past. Fort Hood, Texas, an army psychiatrist, uh, uh, but an Islamic. Yeah, Nidal Hassan, major Nidal. Nidal Hassan, an Islamic radical, uh, an extremist somehow who is serving as an army uh, psychiatrist, mind you, uh, went on a, a crazy shooting spree. Now, two weeks before, he was at George Washington University at a uh, regime change uh, meeting with the Bush administration, sitting next to Vice President Cheney. Oh man, I, how did he miss his chance? The guy must and, be uh, and serious. When, when I published that, that it took 15 minutes for the Chancellor of George Washington University to call me and beg me to take that down. <laughs> oh man! So, so Nidal Hassan obviously was being played by the some kind of uh, a psyops team within the military psychology. And, and, wh- and where where is he now? Uh, I don't know. Sharing uh, sharing a cell with uh, Timothy McVeigh, or maybe they both well, got know, evacuated. You know, it, to it's funny. It's it's funny, but uh, every time somebody doesn't get mysteriously dead or suicided or whatever, they go into a prison system. And totally disappear. My first experience of this, uh, back in uh, the uh, early 70s, late 60s, and I was gone, (laughs) I was gone for the, pretty much all the late 60s, I was in Southeast Asia, but a guy named John Norman Collins began murdering co-eds at uh, Eastern Michigan University and the University of Michigan, and dumping them along uh, Prospect and Gettys Road uh, in Ipsy Township. And, uh, at uh, some point, they finally caught him, uh, convicted him of uh, several counts of murder, and sent him into the Michigan prison system, supposedly. Okay. Now, at one point, you know, and I remembered all this stuff. You know, I was at Michigan State during the latter part of that time after I'd gotten uh, got back from Vietnam. So when Governor Engler <laughs> appointed me the, to the Corrections Commission which gave me access to absolutely every record in the state and any and the prisons. I could just come and go and do what I pleased. I thought I'd look up John Norman Collins, who is doing life in Jackson Prison in a cell on four block. But he wasn't. Hmm. Nobody. Back in 1973, the same thing happened. uh, A. uh, 
it's a, a campus traffic cop named Jonathan Miller uh, murdered his girlfriend, uh, murdered two other girls on campus, and then was arrested running naked down Grand River Avenue with a butcher knife in his hands and no clothing. Uh, and chase, chasing an eight-year-old girl, mind you. Lansing police managed to get him. It was rush hour, by the way. You know, how they, how they found him after that broad search at rush hour, naked on Grand River Five Lanes, bumper to bumper traffic with a butcher knife in his hand. They managed to catch him. It sounds like once you caught a guy like that, you'd want to keep him caged up. You wouldn't want to just lose track of him. Well, he can't be found in the Michigan prison system. And we find this so often. Uh, you know. Well, Je- Jeffrey Epstein, of course, uh, suddenly uh, wasn't there in prison anymore, but we do have a cover story for that one. Oh, the, the, of course, and he was placed in the facility he was in by Trump attorney William Barr. Now, William Barr, who is William Barr? Well, William Barr was, was there appointed by Trump to defend Donald Trump from uh, Robert Mueller, okay, the former FBI director, and the worst FBI director, even worse than Hoover, by the way. That's saying something. I don't want to see Mueller's pictures then. I mean, Hoover's pictures sounded disgusting enough. And and William William Barr's enemy, with this exception, they live next door to each other. They Mm -hmm. see each other several times a week. Their wives are best friends. They have dinner all the time. They're all in a big club. George Carlin said. From 73 to 77, William Barr and Robert Mueller worked as counsel for the Central Intelligence uh, Agency together as a team uh, under the supervision of chief counsel for the Central Intelligence Agency, Jan Morton Hager, who happens to be one of my friends. So so these people are basically uh, pretending to be each other's worst enemies, uh, defending Trump, attacking Trump, and the whole thing is rigged. Oh, it gets gets so much better. Uh, Let's take Jeffrey Epstein. Now, Jeffrey Epstein never graduated from college, you know, but was a was a genius of some kind. So (laughs) when he when he dropped out of college, he got a job teaching at the Dalton School in New York. Now, the Dalton School is run by a former OSS uh, agent, uh, the precursor to the Central Intelligence Agency. And. The father of former Attorney General Barr, his dad, hired pedophile Epstein with no college degree and no teaching experience to teach mathematics at the Dalton School, one of the most exclusive schools in the country. And that relationship goes back far enough where when Epstein in the 1970s, was teaching at the Dalton School. He would have been in regular contact with William Barr. They had known each other for 40 to 45 years. The same way Mueller and Barr had known each other, all of them had known each other for 45 years. Now, one of the odd questions I had answered uh, a, a while ago, and I will put questions to Either the Israelis, I have friends in the intelligence services of both, of, well, of pretty much everybody anymore. I mean, hmm. intelligence. Yeah, you're not supposed to mention that you have friends in the Russian intelligence services these days, though. Well, you know, 
since Carol and I vacationed with the, with the Khrushchevs and Khrushchev's a, a, an undersecretary of, uh, oh God, what do they call that now? Under foreign secretary, I guess, or whatever for this, for, for the Russian Federation. It's been really hard to deny that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Veterans Today is, uh, you know, we're, we're willing to let the Russians tell their side of the story, unlike everybody else in the Western nation. That makes us uh, pretty dangerous. Now, you understand I have the director general of MI5 is sitting on my uh, on Skype right now. And none of what he's – well, I can't even – I shouldn't say it, but nothing that he's saying indicates that Britain in reality has any warm feelings at all about Ukraine. <laughs> Uh-huh. There's a reason. There's a that. reason you don't see Britain uh, crying the blues that the Ukrainians are having their tails kicked. But wait a minute. What, what about this? Uh, we will fight you in the beaches. We will fight you in 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 the deserts. We'll fight you in the jungles. Uh, I, I, I thought Boris was very excited and had lots of warm feelings for Ukraine. Well, first of all, you know one of the things about Zelensky. What kind of what kind of mother would name her little Jewish child child? Voldemort, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially in the middle of the, the Harry Potter years, you know. Wait, seriously, that's his first name. Hmm. I somehow I missed that. Oh my God! His first name is Voldemort. Uh-huh. Uh, well, these people I, have a weird sense of humor, don't they? You know, yeah, I'm I'm sort of thinking so. So we're being told to admire being told to admire him as though he were Winston <laughs> Churchill. Now. I never quite loved Winston Churchill for all this, but Winston Churchill did not have a $34 million mansion in Miami and $1.2 billion somewhere in banks, starting with Costa Rica. And that's wait a minute, Gordon. The, the mainstream media tells us that it's the Russian oligarchs who are the problem, not Zelensky and the Ukrainian oligarchs. You know, I've, I've had over the last couple of years, for varying reasons, uh, the FBI started out wanting to hunt me down and coming out to the house. And then two of the domestic terrorism uh, FBI people uh, got to be fairly good friends. And frankly, these are really nice people, by the way. And uh, nothing disturbed the FBI that two of their senior agents running counterterrorism kept calling the director up, hey, you should have Gordon help us with this. You know, his guys at VT, which includes you, are way but way in front of the curve as far as getting information on uh, domestic terrorism. You know, well, I did actually have to give a like a 10-minute summary of what happened on 9-11 to three FBI agents who, were, who had interrogated me at the Newark airport, and they sat there dutifully taking notes and then, you know, shook my hands, wished me good luck getting my university job back afterwards. So I, I kind of got the sense that that was not a hostile interrogation. Uh, I'm saying things I'm, not, I'm supposed to not say, but my, my last visit, they brought in a film team uh, and uh, rented the presidential suite at the Amway Grand uh, Plaza, which is, you know, the biggest hotel in our area. It's owned by the DeVos. Betsy DeVos owns it. Uh, and filmed six one-hour videos based on Cold War tradecraft, simply spycraft stuff, following people, stealing cars, where to get phony IDs, how to launder money, you know, how to get out of a country, you know, the kind of stuff that other agencies teach, but the FBI has no access to. So they did six hours of 
Cold War-based training, based on training I received from former Stasi people 45 years ago. You know, they're the ones who I took classes from because they were so much smarter than all our guys. And, so the FBI uh, got to do all the fun stuff then. And, and you know, other than a little bit of that, if I could say, stick up the ass problem that, uh, you know, that some FBI people, you know, the ones who weren't cops before, you know, have, uh, they're really nice people and, and to some extent dedicated, but how do you maintain this idea that you're dedicated when since this time, I can't even answer the phone, they're, everything that they had sworn to do to protect the United States from domestic, uh, foreign and domestic enemies has totally and absolutely failed. And partly that's due to infiltration at the high levels of the FBI, because we can yeah. see that, you know, Hoover was owned uh, by Meyer Lansky. We can see that after 9-11, the high level FBI people were corrupt and covering it up. And, you know, we've, we've seen that pattern over and over and over. And, and, so and, the lower and, level people need to arrest their superiors. And, and see, the, the FBI's whole thing is that Trump was a Russian spy and that I needed to believe that he was a Russian spy. <laughs> and that I have to be more anti-Russian because without me being a rabid Russian hater, I'm not reliable enough to take a high-level federal job, which at 73 years old, I'm not sure I need. You know. Yeah, you're happily retired in a very large house. I don't, I don't think you need any more federal jobs, Gordon. But, hey, it looks like you're keeping uh, good relationships with the Russians. has paid off. The Russians just, at least you're, you're claiming in that uh, article you published today, uh, they basically admitted that, yeah, Trump is our guy. Well, this, this, this I got a couple of days ago. The background in this, and this is other things we shouldn't be saying, but, you know, what the hell, nobody cares anymore anyway. Well, you published it. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a fairly large bureau in in Syria. Now, the Syrian bureau, you know, you have two areas of Syria of interest. One is is Damascus, a fairly nice town with a few good restaurants and a daily Israeli bombing show that goes on in the suburbs. And it's almost every day. So I'm on the phone with Nana and and we were on a conference call today with uh, our bureau and uh, Kevin was on with me today. And it's pretty much, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning there or whatever. And Nana will call. uh, I've got no heat. I've got no lights. And the goddamn Israelis are bombing again. And uh, and you'll hear the in the background. Now, nobody says anything about years and years and years of bombing and killing civilians in Damascus or elsewhere. And it's still going on by the Israelis. Let's not even talk about Yemen. Oh, yeah. We don't want to talk about Yemen. And the point with Yemen is not only is it being bombed by Israel, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, uh, pretty much the U.S., but at least... Two of the attacks, and possibly three, involved nuclear weapons. And we were able to prove that. We communicated with the International Atomic Energy Agency and uh, Veterans Today editor uh, Jeff Smith, who's a particle physicist and former employee of the U.S. Department of Energy, where he was a nuclear weapons designer, uh, spent 15 years with the IAEA investigating nuclear weapons, including uh, 
Well, you know, we've got a photo of him carrying a Geiger counter and wearing a yellow helmet, uh, standing at ground zero on September 12th, uh, 2001, investigating that as a nuclear event. I've got a photo of him and, and sort of showing you today, a photo of him in, uh, sitting in Mali uh, with a nuclear weapon on the ground that fell out there after uh, an aging Russian transport plane carrying a stolen American nuclear weapon that was brought by ship from uh, Houston, Texas, to uh, the Canary Islands, was flown to Mali to be re- remanufactured by an Israeli team on the bottom of a coal mine in the Polosario, and that's a breakaway region of Mali. And that coal mine was owned by former uh, Prime Minister of South Africa, F.W. de Klerk. Now, we can get a lot more accurate over an endless number of things like that. One of the things, you know, where you're explaining 9-11 to FBI agents, I have that kind of information, which names, dates, times, and I have all the documents. <laughs> Speaking I've, of all the documents, Gordon, how about the Russians getting documents proving that there are indeed uh, U.S.-sponsored biological warfare laboratories oh. in Ukraine, not to mention Georgia. What, the what we, has if, been exposing this stuff what, for, for why don't we do, Let's drop a bomb now, okay, because you know, on what I – I'll say it here, and we'll, and we'll and just hope it will be forgotten. Here's what the Russians said earlier this evening, which has not gone anywhere, that they have seen evidence that the U.S. had in Ukraine, and the Russians may have this now, samples of a version of COVID that according to the documentation that they got from the laboratory, and the Russians have already seized several of these laboratories, Navy SEALs were sent into Ukraine to seize the pathogens. And, of course, that was admitted openly by uh, Donut Dolly, our uh, deputy uh, undersecretary yeah, of state. Vicky Newland just blurted that right out. Yeah. Well, one of, one of these samples the Russian has is a version of COVID-19 that you can't vaccinate anybody against and it will kill 90% of people infected within three days. So, so that's the real COVID. So what they hit us with before was just kind of a warm-up. Yeah, the, the warm-up. Now, I use the World Meters website, and World Meters is sitting at 992,000 dead, meaning that sometime Tuesday or so on World Meters, we're going to hit 1 million dead. And then on the CDC website, it'll be the Wednesday after that or so that we'll hit our mi- million dead. I think there are other counts, though, that claim we've already gotten there. Well, based on um, based on the basic, uh, you know, <laughs> mortality rates here, you know, you and I went through this in a, in a, in a less pleasant call a few weeks ago, but uh, we're sitting at about 1.3 million excess deaths uh, during the COVID period that are inexplicable. Now. The, the problem, and in, in, in this case, one of those deaths is my 37-year-old son. That's one thing we talked about before, who was unable to get gallbladder surgery because, and this is why I scream at people, because the hospitals where we were were overflowing with unvaccinated sick people. So they put off and put off his surgery until his blocked bile ducts destroyed part of his liver. 
And uh, so I, I had to, I had to go down with my daughter. And this is a nice story here and get an extremely sick child out of hospice after calling the Saudis up. And they said that they would try to get the Cleveland Clinic to do a liver transplant for me. We had two, two family live donors. So I've got a kid that's throwing up every, uh, every few minutes. I've got him in the car with me with my, uh, uh, my daughter. And we're driving from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Cleveland, Ohio, stopping at every rest area so I can clean him up, clean the shit off his back or the, uh, the vomit out of the car. And then got him into the Cleveland Clinic where they began a financial shakedown. And I'm not poor, but uh, that got into figures of money that I just don't have. I cannot write a $4 million check for a fucking operation on somebody that has live donors and health insurance. Yeah, don't you love our wonderful private medical system? Well, Gordon, you know, I think people probably should be able to forgive you for your uh, strong uh, emotional response to the COVID situation. Well, no, I, I, my, my response is this, that 500,000 of these dead would be alive if they'd gotten vaccinated. And when we have these discussions with you, you know, you won't get your kids a DPT because you believe in Do we want to go there today or not? Kevin, Kevin, no, this, this was last week. I can, Kevin, I can eat you for breakfast, Kevin. COVID you know? is closed for World War III. The new, the new topic yeah, is Russia. Yeah, so we can move, we can move on. COVID, we have to you, fear. You, don't, you don't want to go there because I tend to win these, you know. Okay, we, we already had that debate, and people already, can, you know, they came to their own conclusions about who won that debate. But, but in any case, well, I, I, totally, I can, I can uh, tell you, I, I don't I, find I, these these claims about uh, even worse versions of COVID at all implausible. And likewise, I don't find a lot of what you say about COVID wrong. I just just some of well, it. Well, what do you know? What do you know about Jane? Can you tell me tell me about Jane? No, you tell me about Jane. You know Jane better. Well, than Jane, I do. James, Jane has been a coworker of yours for the last decade or so in Paris. She's, yeah, that yeah, Jane is a Jane Rosenstein was a uh, was the VT uh, bureau chief in Paris. Now in Paris, I can tell you why I did this. Jane and I had worked together. Jane, Carol, and I, and uh, kind of the rest of my family, we have a wine importing business out of uh, Luxembourg, and. Uh, Two wine shops and a small winery in Burncastle, Coos in Germany, you know, run by kids. And it's a, it's not a lot of money, but it's, it's a hobby business. It keeps a family going there, keeps us in a couple of old houses. One of them is 600 years old. The newer one, I think, is only 300 years old. And a wine shop where I think in some days, I've worked in the wine shop for days and nobody bought a bottle of wine an entire day. Can you imagine sitting in a shop 10 by 8 feet full of little bottles of wine and little toys and whatever in a little beautiful market town in Germany? And I mean, if the tour bus isn't in from Belgium or the tour buses come in and, you know, thousands of people walk through town and none of them spend more than a dollar, that kind of that's, well, you know, Gordon, I, I almost could work in your wine shop because if I didn't have to sell any wine at all, then it would be halal, and I could get all my work done, uh, work, you know, writing articles for VT and doing videos and False Flag Weekly News, sitting there pretending to sell wine when I don't sell any wine. That's that's it, and that's exactly right. Now, <laughs> sounds like the, a great job. The the issue here is 
were the Russians making this up? And if they weren't making this up, and I don't think they made this up, because I don't love the Russians and lying to me, and I'm not powerless. Right now, the now if you look at VT, we have a category, a subcategory called the Ukraine War. Uh, we have 26 articles per page in our uh, uh, WordPress dashboard when I'm organizing stuff, which includes your stuff or whatever, as a volunteer worker there, which is really all I am at VT, as with you, unpaid volunteers. We're, we're all volunteers here. Suckers. Well, Jefferson we're, Airplane song, Volunteers yeah. of America. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're total suckers. But uh, when I ran through the, the count of articles, I have – 13 pages at times 26 articles per page on the Ukraine war. And it is, as you notice, absolutely the best coverage, including we get, you know, we've got Carrizo, who's the former uh, uh, Vatican correspondent who works for us now. And he goes to the Vatican, which apparently has its own secret service of some kind. Oh, yeah. So they've supposedly had one of the best for centuries. I would think so, you would know that better than anybody. So when we when we showed up this morning with the article of uh, showing the uh, the poor, abused uh, uh, makeup model that was uh, in that bombed-out hospital where she was the only patient, apparently, that right. didn't wear but, uh, a Nazi one, uniform. One woman in the maternity hospital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when they showed up with all the photos of her, they didn't come from VT. They came from the Vatican. They're the guys who put that up on VT. I've got the articles right there, wow. and that's exactly where the information came from. So we have. So, so do you have to give the Pope credit, like where they say, you know, Getty Images or whatever, you, 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 you credit the photo to the Pope? <laughs> well, actually, if you look, they are credited <laughs> to the Pope. Uh, Ghost Bar News is the, is the papal news service, and it is our partner there, as is, when we're reporting the right things, the Washington Post, and now CNBC has started a partnership with VT as well. And and these things are... I'm not sure that's like, a good sign. Well, it's funny because I get... It started out with the Post when the Post came after us, uh, after Israel got very pissed at us for screwing them endlessly year after year. And a lot of that you had done, by the way, where mm -hmm. there's a well, long time. Hey, contest. it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah. There's a, there's been a contest going on for a number of years. Who's the, the worst anti-Semite in America and going back and forth one and two. And uh, it's, it's usually us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually got more awards from the ADL than anybody else. I had, there was three or four years there where I was getting two or three fatwas per year. And, and I'm, I don't get that kind of active treatment. Now, the worst thing about this is, you know, I still work in defense. You know, I'm uh, currently negotiating to buy um, a South African defense company on behalf of the Saudi government, which is my partner in that. I worked uh, for the U.S. <laughs> so, so, so that, that's why MBS hasn't taken a bone saw to me yet. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, my partner there, Haney. And, and Haney's, uh, Haney's wife dad, wife's dad is the head of the PIF, the private investment fund, and one of the 8,000 princes. So by half of my friends are, are married to, uh, the Saudi royals, you know, the, the women anyway. And then, uh, 
You know, you, you gotta hang out with a higher class of people, Gordon. These, <laughs> your friends are the scum of the earth, in my humble opinion. Oh, I, you know, it's, it's kind of strange to deal with. I, you know, working, I've worked with these people a long time, and here's how I, I look at stuff, basically. If I'm traveling somewhere and I've got two days of meetings, what within driving distance of where we are, what kind of decent restaurants are there? What kind of archaeological sites? What kind of natural beauty is there? So when we're in, you know, and uh, back in 2014, we were in Damascus. I was trying to, hey, you guys say that you control Palmyra and that these guys are going to blow it up. So let's get a couple of cars and head out there, you know. Now, the truth was Syria never controlled the highway to Palmyra. And. ISIS had been living there, and Turkish and Syrians have been living or have been lying about it. But we dragged uh, a team through the uh, Bekaa Valley, and the Bekaa Valley is presented in uh, Lebanon as being a dangerous place full of evil Hezbollah guys. Well, we were staying uh, in a uh, at Frank in Frank Lamb's apartment in uh, downtown Beirut. Frank Lamb's now dead, and. Uh, there are times I felt like killing him myself, but we'll let that go. But uh, we hired a, and this is quite inexpensive, we hired a Hezbollah guy and an armed security guy to drive us out the Bekaa Valley in a Dodge Durango. And when they came, first of all, the whole day with two guys cost $100. And as we're loading in the car, and I've got Mike Harris and Jen Dean, and I've got Jim Hankey, and, and we got a, you know, and we're just loaded in the car. We've got eight people. They hand, they hand everybody a nine millimeter and a very old but very nice nine millimeter stainless steel Smith and Wesson pistol so we could all have a gun, you know, like we need one. And we're running out the highway there and the highway's lined with jewelry shops and Cadillac dealerships. And I'm thinking, what kind of terrorists are these? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so fortunately you didn't end up in a shootout with ISIS. But, uh, Ball, Ballbeck, and and uh, we did publish many of the videos. I have hours of video. The uh, ruins at Baalbek are perhaps, of, they're Greco-Roman, uh, are not only amazing to, to visit, but they're some of the most beautiful in the world. And no one, no one goes there. And I mean, per, not just safe, but tremendously impressive. The entire, uh, it's a temple complex on a on a hilltop and supporting the temple complex are large stones and each one of those stones weighs 200 tons each so gord what do you think of these theories that uh the ancient builders of some of these monuments uh, especially the ones with the largest stones that we still wonder how they could engineer them like especially the hard rock ones the granite and so on well that's uh, there's a that's, whole theory about how that was done, that it's uh, esoteric technology that we don't have today. Well, they've, they, the quarry is about a half a mile away, and we stop there, and, and, and uh, that's where people uh, hang out, hand out uh, local garbs so you can be photographed you know, with a camel or you know, the Hezbollah people. They'll, they'll dress you up like a Hezbollah fighter, hand you an AK, and take your picture, you know, which is I, – which I, I think might not be a positive thing, you know, if you wanted to get back in the United States. But this site that's, you know, it's a short walk away. 
there are three or four of the original stones, one of them sticking in the air. I have a picture of Mike Harris on it. The stone is 80 feet by 16 by 16, meaning the size of a large rail car. Solid rock. And today, there is nothing on earth today that can move that stone. <laughs> nothing. So how did they do it, Gordon? There's one theory that there's uh, some kind of anti-gravity technology out there. Some say there's a psychic component to it. What's your take? I pretty much believe that VT, one of the things we got from uh, Jeff Smith, and Jeff is claiming, and as does Merhan T. T. Keshi, and that's a separate issue, the Iranian uh, uh, physicist, and oh, he's a bit of a showman as well. Yeah, he's a a free energy legend. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm still the director of the Keshi Foundation and chief of security. But Keshi's a personal friend for a long time. So whether you believe in his technology or not, and this is what I judge with my Saudi friends and others, when you go in somewhere, and this is the worst thing about Americans that travel, they'll sit in a hotel bar or they'll, you know, <laughs> try to find a whorehouse or whatever, and I'll load up grab people in the car, and we will go out and look for stuff to do. So, I mean, I've driven all over Africa with my crazy Saudi friends hanging out the window of the car, but we go look for stuff to do. And one of the things with the uh, Iranians is I wouldn't visit Iran unless they could put up an agenda of decent archaeological things to visit because absolutely I know when I got back, the Department of Homeland Security would have a couple of unpleasant days with me. But, you know, I, I get to see a couple of, uh, of interesting things in, in Iran, uh, you know, the old, the old stuff at Isfahan and so on, but uh, no, no ancient archaeology, really. But, but, Gordon, getting back to Ukraine, because that is the main uh, topic here. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> are, are you planning any trips to Ukraine anytime soon? Well, I just had Voikon Milosevic, um, and he's been with VT, you know, our bureau chief out of Serbia for some time. He hadn't written anything for a couple of years and just called horribly upset about this, about the American media, believing that the American people all hated Russians and, and meaning Serbs as well, and the ungodly amount of injustice. Now, well, I think these people have a point. I heard the same thing from, you know, the, uh, the Saker and these, you know, the Russians right now are feeling the way we Muslims felt oh, right yeah, after no, 9-11. I, that's one of the things that all of us, and I don't always talk to Saker, Duran, or these people, I, and now we are. You know, we're we're all talking, and we're all on the same page. Now, the issue is that Veterans Today is the only place that has the muscle and traffic to stay alive. And the only place that has the reach to get all the best stories, because we are the only people that get direct briefings from the Russian Ministry of Defense. And I I get detailed direct briefings every single day from the Ministry of Defense. As a journalist, no other journalist signs up for them. It's only us. There is nobody else. And and people who don't believe that should click on the link in the description of today's show. You can go to truthjihad.com, click on the radio schedule link, and find your way to this show. And then there's a link to this intel drop from the Russian GRU. 
And uh, they may, they're making a whole bunch of points, many of which we kind of know. The first one was that Trump is our guy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and that one I got over the telephone laughing. And it says, Gordon, we owe you this. I know you've been driving you crazy. I just wanted to tell you Trump's been our guy since the 1980s. Yeah. Well, if, if, if I got that information six months ago, it would be a bad thing. <laughs> So the GRU is also telling you that uh, Biden flew to Saudi Arabia to meet Bin Salman try, and try to keep the oil prices within reason. Of course, uh, MBS uh, being that greedy son of a gun uh, obviously isn't going to go along with that if he can help it. Uh, so so and, basically, and where that, are we and now? That's, with a, the, that's a national secret in the United States. Oh, OK. Did we just blow a secret? Yeah. Well, the, G, the uh, GRU told us we didn't get this from any classified American well, source. Here's what you do. Look at the door, look at your watch and start counting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just reading off this list that you published, Gordon. So, uh, so this this oil issue, uh, a whole lot of these points that the Russians are making have to do with uh, oil and other uh, very important raw materials, which Russia has a death grip on. And uh, basically what they're saying is that this notion of us sanctioning Russia is going to come back to bite us. And uh, that seems to me to be a pretty good point. Well, they they listed enough materials that are necessary for our defense, including apparently many of the machine tools. Now, if machine tools are an interesting story, uh, if you if you looked at why uh, you know why Russia looted Germany after the war, because they needed Germany's heavy machine tools, you know, drop forges, automatic screw machines, which were typically made by Bridgeport Foundry during the 20th century. Uh, the arms industry in the world. Every major machine was uh, built by Cincinnati Millicron or Bridgeport. Every every machine at the Rouge plant, every machine at the Krupp foundries outside of Prague, all of them came from the United States from these two these two companies. I worked with Millicron for a while, and I and, and there's quite a lot of history. And people who don't understand industrial engineering don't understand the power that companies that manufacture machine tools or the most advanced CAD systems have. And of those systems, the most advanced systems are made in Russia. And they are used in the United States, they are used in Western Europe and elsewhere, and they are Russian systems. In our phones, so many of the vital rare earth elements that we don't have ourselves because (laughs) the only place we could get them is Afghanistan, and we spent so much time dicking and dicking the Taliban around that, uh, and this is one of the other things I'm doing. I'm currently working with the Taliban to try to arrange for financing uh, for mines so that the United States can get rare earth elements to keep our electronics industry alive because we're running out. And the only source we had for these things <laughs> was Russia, and I and that just dried up. So the whole if the whole point of this war on Russia, you know, moving NATO right up to Russia's front door and putting first strike missile systems there, and basically trying to wreck Russia so we can go in and, and loot them and grab all these very valuable raw materials. If that's the strategy, it seems to me it it looks like it's going to backfire. Well. 
you know, there are layers of things in the real world and then layers in the cons- in the conspiracy world and the silly conspiracy world. The problem is it's almost impossible. And I'm an actual paid intelligence specialist who has nation state clients. You know, like, for instance, you know, I am currently the. Oh, the National Defense Advisor to the President of Nigeria, for instance. I sit on the uh, board of the Defense Industries Holding Company of Ghana. So wait a minute. Does, does that give you dual loyalties? Or are you like a, I, a dual citizen of Nigeria? I I active I actively work advising the but British this, government. This could, I actively this work could be a threat to national government. security. If we, if we get too many dual citizens uh, from Nigeria, the Nigerians might take over our foreign policy. Oh, the, hey, they're used to hiring. You know, the easiest thing there is the whole idea in, in Nigeria was to hire a white guy to come in, okay? Because uh, you can always blame the white guy, you know? And, uh-huh. and uh, So you're you're basically a highly paid uh, scapegoat. Yeah, pretty much that. And then you vote me a salary of like $10 million a year, okay? Now, I never see any of that money, mind you, <laughs> but I guarantee you it's paid. Well, the Nigerians will send you an, an email uh, telling you how you can collect it. Oh, yes, exactly. And, and of course, as part of that, I'll have to send them money. Exactly, yeah. And then yeah. Jesse Smollett will send some guys after you if you don't do it. Oh, the, so. the last one was the, uh, uh, the, the chief of security for uh, Nigeria was uh, Gordon Abua, or as he called himself, namesake, because we're both Gordons, you know. And, uh, oh, God, what were they paying me then? This is going to be, I was getting 350000 a year. From the Nigerian government. Now, that went on for like eight years. Now, I can guarantee you, not one cent ever came to me. But Obua claimed he was saving it for me. Now, the last time when Obua was arrested uh, five years ago, uh, and as you've seen so often the case, he was living in a house that was entirely insulated with American $100 bills. Hmm. I bet he was keeping pretty warm there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could use some of that insulation for my uh, log cabin here in Wisconsin. It's been a cold winter. Oh, God, I was remember we were at the. Uh, uh, I was with my buddy Harry Aravona. That's my banking partner in London, and he's the the son of uh, former Nigerian Attorney General. He's also one of my closest friends. We've been friends for many years. And this is this is a little statement on racism. I'm going to get myself on the record here. Uh, Harry lives in London, owns a lot of property, wears Armani suits, and drives a 550 AMG, you know, uh, Mercedes, and is pretty nice people. But he's a serious class act and not poor at all. Now, I stay out there at RAF Fairford out in the Cotswolds uh, uh, as retired military. They have wonderful facilities there. And the little town of Fairford's got just a great pub, the Bull. It's a 1,000 years old. Owned by, by the way, that's a, considered an ad. Great place, great place to stay, pretty good food. You know, Gordon, have you ever uh, thought of a career as a tra- travel writer? I am a travel writer. You are, yeah, that's basically what you are, and you just do this national security type stuff oh, on the side. You, you know, I have, I have 80,000 followers on TripAdvisor. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I keep trying to bring you back to like, the world's about to end. The yeah. nuclear issue, the biological warfare issue was just blowing up these past couple of days. Well, the world's I mean, about we, to end, and all I can we, get out of you is like pubs in the UK. We can anecdote uh, people pretty. All you can do is give people a taste. They'll never have a, a view of things. 
Right, but see, good, Gordon, I, I, I'm a Muslim. I'm not going to, like, sell wine in your shop in Germany and, and go to pubs with you. You know, uh, I, I've got serious business here. Worrying about the world is about to end because they're going to release uh, killer COVID. Instead of a, you know, 0.5% lethality rate, it's going to be much, much higher but equally contagious. Oh, you, if that happens, you, we are screwed. You don't, Those you masks don't, are not going to Hey, Kevin, you don't think that got my attention? Yeah, because, sure did. Yeah, yeah. That, I, had, well, I, I had want to hear more about I how we can moment. avoid that. I had moments about that, and then are they just bullshitting? Are they telling the truth? And then I'm thinking, yeah, they are. Because who would have Which done one? this? Who would have done this? The the people that fund these, uh, uh, you know, these agencies, USAID, uh, you know, and and others, the people that brought us brought us COVID. Now, before this, the the earlier hour this morning, before talking to you, was with Jeffrey Silverstein in Georgia, and he had just met with uh, Rush, Rush 24, the mainstream Russia TV station that did a filmed interview of, of him. And Jeff, who's former U.S. Army, he was the political advisor to Shakavelli uh, in, in Georgia, but he was U.S. Army, and, uh, and hey, and he's a Jew, mind you. <laughs> you know, I mean, what the hell? I was always thinking that members of the tribe had some kind of, you know, special coverage. Well, Jeff's afraid to come back to the United States. He's from Richmond, Kentucky. Uh, the, and he and my mother are the, were the only two Kentucky Jews I ever, ever and, had. And we should that. probably give the listeners a little context here. Uh, Jeff uh, is basically a whistleblower exposing some of these biowar labs in Georgia like the ones in Ukraine that we're just hearing about now. And it sounds like there was a lot of really uh, dirty business being run through those labs. Well, it, to the extent, and this is the issue that in the document that you have in front of you, which you can continue on you know, while I'm dead and gone, but the, the Russians are saying, and they believe, and I've heard enough information on this to confirm, the United States has been collecting DNA samples from varying places around the, around the world in order to see if it's possible to develop diseases that only kill certain ethnic groups. And the primary ethnic group the U.S. is involved in researching are Slavs. And, and that's completely insane because the Slavs have a whole lot of DNA from sort of northern European, western European Viking type stuff, which is um, pretty much what we have here in Wisconsin and Minnesota yeah, and so on. So you've got you've got genetic markers that could be Kazarian Jewish from the uh, areas of Ukraine, Kazakhstan, uh, and Azerbaijan that goes back to the eighth uh, century or so. You have, if you want to go back another three centuries. Uh, that would be my forebears, the Vikings, uh, or the Rus, as it were, on the Volga River. Right. Uh, we're, we're related to the Rus. I mean, you, you actually look like it. And my Irish and Scottish ancestors probably had a little bit of Rus in them, too. Yeah. And all of these supposedly separate ethnic groups all come from Central Asian uh, regions uh, that prior to the, uh, the Mongol uh, invasions, were within a hundred or so miles of each other, meaning that every Viking is a Slav. You know, one of the stranger things here, back some, oh, I don't know, maybe 2009 or so, 
we spent Christmas in Krakow, and uh, part of that is, you know, I, I got the car down to Auschwitz and visit, visited Auschwitz so I could see the uh, – Oh, the uh, the, the high, chimney, high point of everybody's Holocaust the, tour. The famous chimney. You, know, and you, you can explain that to people. Did, did you scrape any of that uh, that Prussian blue off the wall and do a chemical test? Oh, yeah. yeah I was going yeah. to save that and try to use it for as rat poison, and all it managed to do <laughs> is to stain my fingers. But uh, oh, well. the uh, in Krakow, that area of Poland, it's entirely people with blonde hair and blue eyes. It's It's totally, it's totally Nordic. As is the area around around the Baltic. Mm-hmm. So, so, so these insane people who are building biological weapons, and I think the U.S. has spent a total of over a hundred billion so far on this effort. We are the leading uh, criminals in this regard. I mean, how do we get those people under control and put that whole sector out of business? Well, back a couple of years ago, when I was investigating, really investigating COVID, it led us to a research group at the University of North Carolina that had made in 2017 um, a disease, and I don't say that they disseminated it, but it looked to be exactly COVID-19, a, uh, uh, a coronavirus virus chimera. Now, five times during their research, it got out into, is it Chapel Hill or whatever is the town there, but it was a CDC, you know, rounded it up and, and blocked it off or whatever. But when I ran the backgrounds, and you can do this on any paper, uh, through Google Scholar, the backgrounds of about half the scientists who worked on this project, which included, by the way, the facility at Wuhan was part of this project, as was Harvard University. All of it traced back to people who had worked at Fort Detrick. Mm-hmm. What a surprise. warfare program that we supposedly closed in 1969, and they announced they'd closed it, and that from 1969 forward, every biological weapon we made was defensive and no longer offensive. Right. But basically what we changed was the definition rather than any actual, <laughs> anything substantive. Uh, and, and then when, when the anthrax component of 9-11 anthrax was brought out and Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy were convinced to stop blocking the Patriot Act when anthrax was mailed to them, uh, the response, rather than to bust our biowar sector, was to, uh, I think, uh, was it 800, 900% funding increase overnight, pretty much, for the biowar sector? Well, one of the things that, that uh, Jeffrey Silverman was, uh, is known for doing, basically, and this was, he made friends with the chief of security at the U.S. Biolab. And you're going to have to keep this short because we have about 30 seconds left. Yeah, in Tbilisi, Georgia, and uh, got the plans for the plant. And the plant had two, two aspects. One was a research facility. The other one turned out quantities of weaponized shells that can in, uh, include BX, VX, sarin gas, and MERS, SARS, avian flu, swine flu, etc. Oh, man. And then, <laughs> and then past that, and this is what the Russians found uh, and that's listed in your document. Right. So, so, so people have been reading veterans today. Cases. People were reading veterans today uh, several years ago. They would have actually uh, been way ahead of the game. So if you're, it's not too late. VeteransToday.com is the website. Gordon Duff is the senior editor. Thank you so much, Gordon. It's always great touching base with you and uh, learning national security secrets. And hopefully.
they don't have to kill us uh, for mentioning them on the video. <laughs> Take care. Good stuff. Kevin Beard here back in the next hour with more talk about the Ukraine madness.